0: Good morning, everyone. Oh man, it's good to be in the house of Lord today. And I know that some of you were a little bit later, and I want to make sure I express my gratitude for the thirty five hundred pounds of food that you have contributed and donated to our Loaves and Fishes Pantry. That was a great response, and I am so grateful. I know the people who are working the Loaves and Fishes Pantry are so grateful, and we need help now. If you got some time on thir- Tuesdays and Thursdays, you want to help deliver some of the food and serve the people who come. Please consider doing that um, this year as the demand is so high. But it's good to be here. It's uh, the second Sunday of Advent, and I could not have been set up any, any better. We've got the love here on the altar. Gabriel and Colby did such a great job over here with a candle. Wonderful uh, reading there. Thank you, guys. And uh, you can give them applause. We've got two people. There, there you go. Yeah. Good job, guys. And, of course, this last song, can you hear hearts returning to you. I mean, this is the perfect segue. So I'm going to go ahead and read from uh, for, to you our gospel lesson th- today. Now, I am not doing any sermon series for the next few weeks. I'll start that up in January when I'm going to take a swing at the letter of revelation. Woo! Here we go. Yeah, we're going to get apocalyptic again in January. Uh, but I'm following what's called the common lectionary, the appointed texts that the church has been using for centuries. And I always say not the appointed sermons. I still had to come up with my own sermon. But these are the texts and the readings. And today's the second Sunday of Advent. And our appointed gospel reading is from Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Here we go. The beginning of the, what's that? Good news, that's going to be important, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John the baptizer, or the baptist, some of you know that. The Greek is actually John the one who came baptizing. Appeared in the wilderness, the desert. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Watch this. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Is that a crowd? Yes. Were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts, you know, grasshoppers, and wild honey. I was thinking about dressing up like that just for effect today. (laughs) And he proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. But he, who's the he? Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. John the Baptist. You know, I was uh, thinking, um, it's so funny to me how the the contrast, the message that we're getting ready to hear, and the character who delivers it, is such a radical contrast from the message we hear this year from the other character who's very popular outside these walls during December. I can't can't think, the, the, the message is so... It's so stark, the difference is. I mean, think about the two characters we're, we're holding up this time of year. On the one hand, you got one character. He's a jolly old elf. He's got a well-coiffed white beard. He's dressed in red. And uh, he lives, where does he live? He lives in a winter wonderland, in the North Pole. And uh, he eats cookies, and he drinks milk. And he says to us every single year, what do you want for Christmas. What's on your wish list? All right, that's one character. Then we come to church. This is funny to me. And every year, the character featured this morning, this time of year, he doesn't live in the winter wonderland. He lives in the dry desert. He wears not red but a camel skin, leather belt. Uh, He eats grasshoppers and wild honey. And he's got crowds that come around him. But he says to us every, uh, every year, you need to burn your Christmas wish list. Matter of fact, you don't need anything else at all. In fact, your life is so full, it is so materialistic, it is so cramped that God cannot get in. And you need to change. Wow. Guess what, boys and girls, we have a special guest this morning. <laughs> it's John the Baptist. I was thinking uh, uh, this year, you know how we uh, every year we hear people you know, from the churches saying, you know what, we just need to keep Christ in Christmas." If we could just keep Christ in Christmas. Okay, okay, that's fine. I got an idea for you. How about we keep John the Baptist in Christmas? Because he comes every year. And he's the one voice that gets in the way of all of our Christmas fun and our Christmas cheer. Mark's gospel, I love how it begins. It simply says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, you would expect that the very first person that we would encounter would be whom? It would be Jesus. But yet, the very first person that we see waving from the float in the gospel Christmas parade, it isn't Jesus. The gospels introduce us first to this guy named John the Baptist. And if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of them first introduce us to John the Baptist before they ever introduce us to Jesus. Jesus. It's as if all the gospel writers are saying, hey, wait a minute, you are not going to be able to handle John's, excuse me, you're not going to be able to handle Jesus' preaching and what Jesus is about until you have first learned to handle John the Baptist's preaching and what John the Baptist is about. We've got to listen to his preaching uh, first. There are some great teachers of mine, and uh, they, they have said this. They have said that John the Baptist is really the model preacher for all Christian preachers. That every Sunday, my teachers have said, every Sunday, you preachers, preachers like me, you need to strive to be like John the Baptist because he's the model preacher. Why? Because for John, the point of every sermon he preached, it wasn't spiritual therapy It wasn't, you know, seven biblical principles to help you become a better person. That was never the point of any of John the Baptist's sermons. The point of every sermon John the Baptist preached was what? Jesus. That was the point of every one of his sermons. Jesus. John was the one who would say, hey, hey, not me, not me. You need to keep your eyes over here. Every time John the Baptist preached, he always pointed people to the one he said was mightier than himself. That's what Christian preaching is supposed to look like. When I, the preacher, get out of the way and I try to point you to Jesus, and what John the Baptist says in his sermon about Jesus is that there really can't be any forgiveness. There really can't be any salvation. There really can't be any Jesus without a changed way of life. You can't have Jesus without repentance. Mark says that that John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's his sermon, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, sin and and repentance. I was uh, thinking this week that that word repentance, we don't spend a lot of time, I don't think we devote a lot of time thinking about this. I don't really think we uh, spend a lot of time even thinking about our sins. Now, Pastor Kyle tends to lead us in a kind of confessional moment in his prayer on our behalf but uh you know we really don't spend a lot of time thinking about sin that word uh or even repentance i will tell you that there was a time not too long ago people like the puritans you know like the pilgrims uh even some methodists where they actually had kind of what i would call an unhealthy obsession with sin these people were People who just lived in dread all the time, like, oh, my gosh, my sin, my sin, you know, and they just lived in this, this anxiety about their eternal destiny. Where are we going? And that's just unhealthy. That's not really what God wants us to have, this kind of unhealthy anxiety. That's an extreme case. But I will say that for the most part in contemporary United States and the church, the pendulum has kind of swung to the other extreme. We don't really think about our sins much at all, if any if time. You know, we we're, we're kind of got this theology now where it's, uh, hey, um, don't worry about it, you know. God grades on a curve. Um, you're okay. You know, you don't need to worry about anything. You can just set the bar low. As a matter of fact, you can just, just get rid of the bar altogether, you know, because this is who God is. And what, what, we, what we've done is we have started to cheapen, the grace of God. And, and we kind of had this idea that the grace of God is like a license. So we, we can live however we want to. And uh, all we got to do is just ask God for forgiveness. And it's all done. And, and, and what the church does is that every year, the church sends us a preacher like John the Baptist to shake us up. Because without John the Baptist, we'd forget this. And, and we would never know that, you know what, God actually expects more from us. There is a demand, there are costs to following Jesus. You know, the thing is that most of us, we're kind of like, uh, we're like those two main characters. I've got, a, I've got a great theological movie for you that I'm getting ready to quote. We're kind of like the two main characters in this movie, highly, High Theology, called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And there's two main characters in this movie, and they're going down the interstate. Some of you know this movie? They're going down the interstate. Okay, so I want I to won't explain it to you. We actually have a clip from this. I want to I share this, and I don't think I've shared this before. Somebody says, haven't you said it, shared this? I don't think so. I can't remember, but let's watch it. Here we go. wants to race don't race that's ridiculous alright come on let's go let's go put your window down he wants something Uh, he's probably drunk you're going the wrong way what you're going the wrong way he said we're going the wrong way oh he's drunk how would he know where we're going Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. (laughs) What a moron. You're going in the wrong direction! You're going to kill somebody! there we go. Now, what's my point? Okay, so every year, John the Baptist is the one hollering at us, you're going the wrong way. And we're like the two other characters going, yeah, okay, yeah, we're fine. What are you talking about? We're fine until, right, disaster is about to happen. And they survive. The movie's great. One of my favorites back in the 80s. Anyway, but see, John, John knows that you and I really have been going the wrong way. Like we, we, we have all, since this time last December, all of us, our tires, <laughs> our wheels have gotten a little misaligned. And we are veering off course. Or, or maybe we've gotten trapped in some habits since last year. Or maybe it's even longer than that. Trapped in these habits that will be our disaster. And will be our undoing. We've all gotten trapped into that. And what John the Baptist is saying, you're going the wrong way. And, and John the Baptist insists that we actually can repent. We don't have to go the wrong way. We can repent. That word repentance, every time I ask somebody, what do you think the word repentance means? Invariably, I get this definition. That repentance means to ask God for forgiveness. That's a part of repentance, but that's not what repentance means. The word repentance, the word that John was using in his preaching while he was pointing everybody to Jesus, the word repent means to resolve today to change your life for God's sake repentance means that today starting now I am going to go in God's direction I tell people that repentance means to do a 180 you ever heard that expression do a 180 in your life I always say it doesn't mean 360 because when you do a 360 you kind of go but then eventually you come back in the same place But you got to go in a different direction. That's what repentance means, to resolve, to decide, to do something today to make a change for God and to do this in your life. Now, a lot of people have said this. People like Peter Schizero, who has done something called the Emotionally Healthy Church. A lot of people have mentioned this. The truth is simply this. The vast majority of us never decide to make a change in our life. Until the prospect of staying where we are seems worse than making the change, until we get sick and tired of being sick and tired of who we are and where we are, what we're, we're like those, we're like those passengers. We just keep going, and everybody could say you're going the wrong way, and we just say thank you, thank you, you're crazy. Until disaster happens. And, and what John the Baptist is, you know what he's the preacher for? John the Baptist is the preacher for people who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of where they are in their life for God. He is especially the preacher for those who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of their very lax, very mediocre, uh, very lukewarm faith in God. That's who John the Baptist is preaching to people who are fed up with where they are in their life and in their relationship with with God. I was uh, debating whether to tell you this uh, or not. I got to tell you, though, because this happened to me, and it happened on Wednesday, and it helped me think through what John's preaching about. So uh, on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we had a luncheon for the seniors of our church, and there were several tables uh, uh, established here in in the area, and I happened to sit at a table with four ladies uh, who were not members of Harrison, they weren't even Methodists. There were four Catholic ladies. And, of course, that worked out well because I dressed like a Catholic priest. And so they felt like they were right at home. And so we started talking, and uh, <laughs> I remember one of the ladies, as we were talking, she, she, said, she said, you know, I don't know what it's like in your, in your parish. She says, but in, in my parish, she says, you know what our problem is? She says, we have, this was her words. She says, we have too many apex Christians, and I never heard that. Have you ever heard this? Apex Christians. And I I, I thought, uh, apex. You mean like apex, like top dog, people on the top? And she says, you know, no, 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 no. Apex. A P E X. Advent, Pentecost, Easter, and Christmas. And I thought that was hilarious. I've never heard that before you know we got too many apex christians you know people who show up this time of year and i confessed and some of you if you're visiting you don't know this if you've been listening to me preach you know this there was a time in my life where i was an apex christian actually i was worse than an apex christian i, I you would even see me at advent or pentecost you'd see me at Easter and christmas i was like what x i was an ex-christian and, and I, and I, I could, I, I could you, see, you're going to use this from now on. Aren't you glad you came to church just for that? You know, and this is not to pick on people, you know. But I remember there was a time in my life was, and I, when I was that way. And I can remember I was about 20, 21 years old when I got sick and tired of this. I got sick and tired of being so mediocre and so lukewarm and so indifferent with my faith in Jesus. And I remember I made a change today. It's happening. And I caught Fire. But even when you catch fire, what happens to a fire over time? It cools. So even if you're on fire for God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't just cool down and kind of lapse right back into mediocrity. And and, and John, every year, does us a favor. And he comes, as as Kyle said in his sermon, he comes to to set us on fire again, to burn us up again. We can repent. We can repent. I think I've uh, maybe told you that in the uh, Judaism the Jewish rabbis, uh, many of them have said that repentance is the only thing in our existence that proves we actually have freedom of choice. Repentance is the only thing in existence that proves you and I actually have freedom of choice. Now, that kind of sounds yawn-worthy ooh, okay, to us on this side of history. But in the ancient world, that was a big deal. Because in the ancient world, people believed that the gods were in charge of everything you know zeus or athena whatever they were all in charge of your behaviors or they believed that you could look up at the stars and maybe it was the stars that were determining who you're going to be the stars were determining your fate there's nothing you can do to change your fate so there was this kind of everything was predetermined by the gods or the stars Uh, one of my favorite astrophysicists, neil degrasse tyson i love him he, like, has this saying now where he, he, will like, he likes to imagine that maybe, hey, maybe our existence is really a computer simulation. And we might think we have freedom of will, but no, no, no. You actually are pre-programmed by someone else, and you're inside the hard drive. Right? We always kind of find a way to do this, and the Bible absolutely rejects this understanding. According to the Bible, repentance Is the one thing that proves that you, you and I, we've got some freedom. We've actually can take control of our lives. It is in us. We could be going this way at 100 miles an hour, like those two characters in the movie. 100 miles an hour, but we can stop. We can turn on a dime, and we can go the other direction when it makes no sense. We're not stuck in our sins, And John the Baptist is preaching, you're not stuck. Wherever you are in your life, you are not stuck. You have the power to make a change. And you don't need to blame it on anybody else. You're not saying my predicament is somebody else's fault when you repent. You can't just blame it on your DNA. Well, it's in my genes. I'll always be like this. It's in my genes. You you can't just say, oh, it's the stars. The horoscope said it. No, John the Baptist is the one holding out for us. No, and this is good news. You can repent. You can start over. You can begin again. Today, you're not stuck. You can move forward. You can repent. They came to John the Baptist. It says they they came to the waters. They were getting baptized. And only in Mark's gospel, I think, it says this. That as everybody was coming down to the waters, they were all confessing their sins. Now notice it says that they were all confessing their sins. They weren't calling out the sins of other people. Well, that's them. What they were doing is they were confessing their sins. They were taking responsibility for their own actions. They were taking responsibility for their own relationship with God. Well, you know, we kind of think confession is just a Catholic thing. Um, No. Confession is a part of the New Testament faith. Confession. Now, we're not very good at this, confessing our sins. What we're kind of good at is uh, what some people call the non-denial denials. You ever heard this? A non-denial denial. denial. I think it comes from Watergate. Non-denial denials. We're really good at this. And what that means is that we will sort of admit we're at fault for something. We won't deny it, but then we'll deny it. A non-denial denial. Denial. Some of these men who keep rising up about their misconduct, you'll notice that some of them are saying, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe it was wrong. Um, but those were different times. Non-denial denial. But to confess your sin, what you are saying is that I am the one at fault. I am the one who has chosen to go in a direction, and I'm stuck in it, but I don't have to be stuck in it. I take responsibility for who I am. They came to John the Baptist confessing their sins. I was thinking, you know, why? Why confession? Why, Why does God want us to do this? And I really think that the best explanation for this is centuries old, but there was a Christian many centuries ago who liken confessing your sins like when you go to the doctor. And you go to the doctor, and maybe you've got an illness, and it's one of those kind of um, embarrassing illness, you you know what I mean? Kind of a part of your body that you don't really want to talk about. And, And this person said, well, you know, unless you tell your physician where you're ill and get over yourself and get over your modesty, then there can't be any treatment. And when we come to God, maybe we're embarrassed to confess what we've done, but he already knows. And, and, and yet what God gives us in that moment, he gives us the medicine of forgiveness. He gives us the power to go in a different direction. He, he gives us new life, and he gives us hope. You know, when you, when you confess your sins, you've got something inside of you, and it's coming out. You're, you're releasing it into the world. It's, your sins love to stay inside you. They love to be hidden. They love to stay down here. i got the worst analogy of all time. It's kind of like termites. Isn't this dumb? You know, it's like termites. You don't even know they're there, but they're eating away at your house. They're destroying it silently. And you got to do what? you got to expose them. you got to expose them. When you, when you confess your sins, you're, you're exposing them. And then there's treatment. There's remediation. That can happen. You're not stuck. We're not stuck. We don't have to be mediocre in our faith. They came to John the Baptist before the Messiah came and they confessed their sins as an act of repentance. My brothers and sisters, Christmas is almost here. Our Messiah is almost here. And John is saying, you're going the wrong way. You're not ready. Therefore, John holds up the good news, the beginning of the good news. You can repent today. You can confess now. Start over now.